You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. Before we start the interview today, I would just like to acknowledge that we are hosting this on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. to Metamorphosis, a podcast where we interview physicians from across BC and Canada with the aim of helping medical students navigate their medical careers. My name is Igor, and on today's episode, we are speaking with Dr. David Mongar, a family physician working in maternity care, addictions medicine, as well as general family practice. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Igor. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. How are you doing today? I'm good. Um, It's my day off, quote unquote off, where I just sort of manage the kids in the house. So uh, pleasure to be here. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to have you. Um, so on today's episode, uh, it's part of our larger series on the flexibility in family medicine and the different kind of subspecialty options that are available. Um, so you do a lot of maternity care in your practice and you also do a bit of addictions medicine. So to start off, maybe you can tell us a little bit about kind of what your general practice looks like. Maybe you can just give us a, a sense of what a typical week looks like for you, um, to give our listeners a, an idea of how you've structured things. Of course. Um, so right now, um, I'm still I'm my fifth year of practice, I'm still officially a locum. So I'm leaving myself um, a little bit available to sort of cover other people's practices longitudinally. So my longitudinal full service family practice is generally sort of a Monday, Tuesday kind of thing. Um, and then uh, on Wednesdays, I work um, in pretty intense addictions in the downtown east side. Uh, I'm at a, a housing facility there called the Portland Hotel. Um, where I do fairly long, fairly involved days on Wednesdays. And then on Thursdays, I recently started regularly picking up at Sheway. So I do a half day on Thursdays uh, at Sheway doing perinatal addictions. And then I finish off my week either doing a full day of clinic, maternity clinic at Burnaby Hospital or working a 24-hour call there. So I have kind of an ombre end to my week. I go addictions, perinatal addictions, and then just straight up maternity care on, on the Fridays. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, can you tell me a bit, a bit more about that center for um, perinatal addictions? I haven't actually heard of that one. Chiway is uh, it's on on East Hastings. Uh, it's it's very much in the thick of things, uh, and it's pr- it's providing uh, care for for women and um, birthing people who are uh, uh, who have addictions issues. Uh, and so we provide a lot of uh, addictions care for them, but also for their whole family. And so. We'll provide a lot of care for their babies when they're born, uh, for their kids when they come in with coughs and colds. And so we work in a really comprehensive team there. There's social workers, there's dietitians, there's nurses who are incredibly skilled. There's a pediatrician who's there most days of the week. And so, and there's a few of us family doctors uh, sort of spearheading everything. So it's a, it's a really, really wonderful, very holistic place where people can gather in a very sort of low barrier way um, and have uh, all of their needs taken care of under one roof. It's, it's a really, uh, it's a joy to work with a team that's so skilled. Wow, that sounds incredible. And it sounds like a really interesting mix of kind of the two things that you're interested in, which is maternity care and addictions as well. So how did you kind of get into that? Or how did you find out about that, uh, that that was an option? Yeah, it came a bit later, actually, I, I had the two sort of, you know, the two poles uh, kind of separated initially when I first started in practice. So I was doing addictions care sort of right off the bat. I found that later in residency it was actually in our in my R2 year. Uh, I think I, I did my addictions rotation in February or March. And then by July, I was so in love with this that I said, okay, I would definitely want to have 
this as a, as a big part of my practice. And so I, I ended up uh, working in the Columbia Street Clinic for a little while um, and then doing addictions care by taking over a patient panel at the Portland Hotel. And then uh, it was I, I happened to do a maternity um, leave for, for a friend and colleague, um, and they had a, a, a panel of, of people who were years out from Shiwei in their regular family practice. And then also part of doing that locum was delivering with group two at BC Women's, you, which um, works really closely with the fur ward there. And, um, and, then, uh, and then doing shifts at Shiwei. So covering, covering the, the Shiwei shifts as the family doctor there. Um, completely fell in love, um, would never, ever want to leave. And, uh, and so I've been really fortunate to sort of work that in as a, as a longitudinal part of my practice now. And then I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of family docs sort of find this, but you start as a locum, you start broad, you start sort of not committed, you know, working from practice to practice, and then you pick up things that you just love and you could never say goodbye to. And so then, you know, your, your, your free time and your ability to take on someone's full practice sort of dwindles over time. So if now some, if, if a colleague said, you know, can you cover me? I'm going away to Greece for four weeks. I would say I can cover a couple days, but I'm, I'm committed to my patients at the Portland Hotel. I'm committed to Shiway and I'm con- committed to my maternity care that I now provide at Burnaby Hospital. And so unfortunately you do get a little bit, a little bit wedged in, uh, not, not, a, not able to take on a full, you know, a full week's work of practice for someone, but you can definitely chip in uh, a bit, a bit by bit. That's fantastic. Yeah, I've actually heard that from quite a few people that after uh, quite a few family physicians is that after residency, they recommend you do a bit of locuming and just kind of explore the different options, see what's available, um, not like ground yourself right away into into something, but just kind of um, go around and explore and see what what fits your style the best and what you enjoy. And it sounds like that really worked out uh, really well for you. It did. I'm I'm overjoyed to have this practice and to have this variety that from Monday to Friday is just completely different flavors every day. Uh, you know how I'm getting to work, whether I'm cycling or whether I'm driving my car, where I'm working, whether it's in the hospital or you know literally in patients' rooms in the downtown east side, which is uh, which can be a real eye-opening, um, you know, w- window into their health and into their life. Um, it's uh, every day is something completely different, which really suits me for having a very short attention span. (laughs) That's fantastic. And when you were applying for family medicine residency, did you, were you planning on just doing kind of family comprehensive family medicine, or did you know that um, maternity care and addictions were something that you want to do in the future? I I didn't know the addictions piece, funnily enough. Um, But as I said, that was something that came a little bit later in in second year of residency. Maternity care, I've been fascinated um, with for my life. Um, I remember conversations going back to elementary school with my mom about how I was born and how my brother was born. I was always fascinated. And then it was first year med school, the maternity care nights that they, that they used to hold at, uh, at women's. I'm not sure they're, if those are starting back up again, but they basically, they, you know, they, they provide a stipend for a few uh, people who are pregnant to show up and you do Leopold's there's the, um, on, on their babies, um, and I remember the first um, the first time I felt a baby kick when I was sort of trying to figure out if this baby was breech or cephalic. And uh, and yeah, it was a real life changing moment. It was uh, I think I cried a little and uh, and then knew that that was definitely something I wanted to have as part of my practice eventually. Um, and then through med school, you know, I think it, most people in med school by the end of it, they know whether or not they want to do obstetrics as part of their practice. 
Um, I think it's it's rare that you'd have a resident who came in saying, ah, I don't want to do maternity care at all, and then comes around and, and you know does a 180 there. I do find it's fairly fairly polarizing. Either you love it or you hate it. Um, but yeah, I, I knew fairly early on, early on that I wanted to deliver babies. And then the question for me was, you know, do I do this as a family doc and get to continue to take care of families and babies, or do I do I do I go the OBGYN route and and become a surgeon? And I chose family medicine. <laughs> yeah, probably. I guess a good choice then. Yeah, it seems like you really enjoy what you do. Yeah, I'm always interested in hearing, uh, you know, how people discover these pathways and things because. I feel like in my class, probably in a lot of medical school classes around Canada, a lot of students don't really know what the options are in family medicine and how you can really tailor your practice and do the things that you enjoy. So it's really good to hear that you went to one of these sessions and they inspired you to pursue this in your future practice. So I guess that's a shout out to the maternity care nights and a lot of these other types of similar sessions as well for different subspecialties. So it's great for students to attend these types of sessions. If you're interested in something, definitely check it out. You might end up doing it in the future. Yeah, and if it grabs you, then you just sort of figure out how you want to work it in. You know, what, what kind of what kind of doctor you want to be, what kind of um, what kind of team you want to work in, and what kind of environment. And um, I, I will say that you know I was I was pretty torn. I I, I kind of double matched to OB into family, and um, um, it was actually on the CARMS tour itself that I really decided that, no, I, I wasn't happy saying goodbye to families. I wasn't saying goodbye to, you know, happy saying goodbye to, you know, taking care of babies. Um, and so I really wanted to, you know, keep myself broad and sort of holistic and, and not do the, the five-year grind of a surgical residency. So, so not only was I glad sort of throughout residency to sort of, you know, find my people and, and, you know, become a full, fully fledged family doctor, but, uh, I, I will say that in terms of, you know, how I'm able to provide maternity care there, it's, it's rare that I have a shift where I'm not grateful to have chosen this path. It is so nice having someone to call in the middle of the night <laughs> and, and bring people onto the team. I, I think I would have found it fairly isolating um, going the other route. Yeah. So what is it that you find the most interesting about maternity care? What drives you to do the work that you do? Um, I don't, it's it's really it's delivering babies it's taking care of families it's uh and it's seeing those transformations that i find so so rewarding and there's nothing else like it there's nothing else where someone comes into the room you know not being a parent and leaves with a baby you know, it's um really bearing witness to uh, incredible change and incredible strength and people doing things that they had no idea they had the fortitude to do it's um yeah it's completely life altering. Um, and, and you're there, you have a front row seat. Um, it's quite emotional. It's quite moving. You get a lot of, uh, a lot of great opportunity for some really involved counseling and you get to take care of people, not only in their happiest moments, but also that you're there, you know, there are, there are sad times in, in obstetrics and maternity care. Um, and that's very rewarding to be there, um, to help facilitate and, and to help, um, help people get through that. So, there's a there's a full spectrum and um and yeah i think it's it's a great honor and also there's just nothing else that i would rather you know wake up at 4 30 in the morning um and and jump out of bed for you know with a big smile on my face there's nothing else that would do that for me so yeah i count myself as very lucky yeah i agree doing my obstetrics rotation i definitely got to see that whole spectrum of joy and 
also pain and you know it really is life-changing the whole experience so definitely really interesting field so how does it work um you see your patients kind of during pregnancy in your clinic and then once they're in labor do you go see them in the hospital or are you just on call sometimes how does that work yeah, I think back in the day, and I actually uh, had had the joy of working with a provider uh, who was a full, you know, full service family practice, cradle to tomb, um, and and you know would would be seeing you know patients in their last days of their life, providing their palliative care, and then get a call from the hospital saying that one of his patients was in labor, and literally would just like cancel his afternoon clinic and and you know cycle to the hospital and deliver a baby, and then try and make it back to see his last few patients for the afternoon. It was just really, uh, really incredible. Um, I think that's, that's quite rare these days that people are seeing their own patients for their prenatal care and then, and then delivering them as well. So most people work as part of a group and that group will be based out of a hospital. And then usually I would say there's a, there's a clinic that is providing all the prenatal care housed or staffed by the same docs who are actually going to end up doing the deliveries. So that's how it works at, at Burnaby, which is where I found myself permanently. And, um, yeah, you're providing the, all of their prenatal care. And then you know that, you know, if you're taking care of this family through the pregnancy, that you might actually get a chance of being the doctor who's on call for the 24 hours where they where they deliver their kid. So um, you, you really keep all of your skills like quite well honed uh, having that mix. And I think the patients are really grateful for for sort of that, having that mix, having that holistic care in the pregnancy and then just, and then having that opportunity to, to have it, have their uh, intrapartum care provided by the same group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it must be a really special feeling too, when you have the opportunity to deliver a baby for one of your own patients who you've been seeing in clinic. Yeah, it's lovely. I mean, you see so much transformation that goes on in pregnancy itself, like, you know, from, from that first prenatal visit all the way up until, you know, when they're, when they're just kind of really eager to going through labor incredibly um but you you know you're seeing them in their last weeks of pregnancy and then and then getting to be there for the delivery is really is really special and so you know certainly back in the day there was more of that there was more of you know delivering your own patients and then seeing them you know seeing their babies grow up and then maybe delivering them later down the road if you were in it for long enough um so we're i think we're probably seeing less of that but we are seeing a better quality of life right not always being on call 24 7 right yeah, and I think that's very important as well, just to kind of minimize the potential for burnout, because I know that being always on call, you know, it can be really tough long term. But it sounds like the fact that you vary your practice quite a bit probably helps stave off some of those feelings. I think so. I think every day of my week is a little bit exciting. It's it's something new and it's something I sort of haven't done for a full week. So so I definitely, you know, I have a certain eagerness to me before every shift, which is great. <laughs> awesome. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you would say are there working in maternity care? I think I think the fact that, you know, you, you can do a 24-hour shift and you can be busy for the entire thing. You can be working constantly from, you know, 8 a.m. to 8 a.m. the following day. I, I think that that is something that is, you know, not every specialty has that. A lot of specialties do call overnight, but they, they you know... They get to sleep the next day, or or they'll they'll do call overnight, um, and and have that sort of you know just be twelve hours, or you know if you're an emerge eight eight hours, um, and you know we we definitely work hard, um, but it does minimize you know the amount of handover you have to do, and it does allow you to be there to see the full arc of of you know 
a lot of people's journeys. Um, you have to be willing to get into the thick of things. You have to be willing to be covered in, you know, bodily blood and bodily fluids of, of all description. Um, and I think that's kind of rare. It's a bit messy as a specialty. Um, I actually left um, BC Women's One Shift um, where I was locoming before, and I didn't have my wedding ring. And my wife noticed my my ring my ring finger was bare, and she said, "Where's your ring?" And I said, "Oh no, it's in my scrubs." And I was only able to oh, no. I was only able to cycle back to the hospital, go to the laundry bin where I had dropped my scrubs, and find that same set of scrubs because they were green, coated in meconium stained amniotic fluid. <laughs> I there's just nothing else like it um i so so i think there are challenges you know like that um but uh just just so so balanced out by the joy um of everything that i'm eager to see sort of every week mm -hmm. probably the one time you were grateful to be covered in meconium at that point <laughs> absolutely yeah clutch thank you baby amazing um yeah and i was also wondering in terms of because you, you mentioned some of the challenges include the shifts and things like that. How free are you to organize your own schedule, make your own call shifts? I know you work in a group. So what kind of dynamics are there in terms of the freedom you have to create your own schedule? Yeah, I, I think that the, the call shifts are generally sort of, you know, up for grabs, generally in a somewhat regular repeating fashion. And you always have some degree of, you know, of autonomy of deciding sort of which day of the week you're going to settle into as part of these groups. And then also when you're going to pick up for for vacation, and there's a lot of there's a lot of give and take, and there's a lot of um, you know um, collegiality behind you know not wanting to leave people you know high and dry. You know, for example, there was a, a person in my current call group who um, you know just got sick and had to ask the group, you know, is there someone who can cover call for tomorrow? And sure enough, someone you know stepped up to the plate. So so ideally, you work in a really collegial group where there's that flexibility, but you really decide sort of how many call shifts you want to do a month. There isn't you know, a set requirement and you can sort of be as involved or not involved as you want to be. There's a lot of flexibility. Mm -hmm. And how does it work in terms of communicating with obstetricians or other specialists during a pregnancy? What's kind of the dynamic there as well? Um, you know, we work really closely with our colleagues. We're really lucky, you know, at, at, at all of the hospitals I've worked at actually to have really collegial groups. Um, you know, everyone is, 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 is generally really happy to, to, to come in and, and, and join the team. Um, you know, if, if you need to consult, uh, OB internal medicine or maternal fetal medicine throughout the pregnancy or, or OB, um, you know, people are always, uh, are always really willing to sort of help chip in. And the ideal is that, you know, for, for us providing low risk obstetrical care, that we are still leading the care, that we're still sort of team lead conducting everything. Um, and that you're able to bring in your specialist colleagues to, you know, to help and advise and help you make good decisions. Um, and certainly help, you know, towards the, the later part of pregnancies in terms of, you know, planning deliveries and everything. Um, but but you're left sort of still being the the patient's sort of number one contact, um, and so so a lot of it a lot of it is through you know fairly traditional referrals. But then you're always willing you're always able to sort of you know get someone on the phone and and go over a challenging case and uh, and and make sure that you're making the right um, the right decisions. And then um, there's a lot of working really closely when you're on uh, labor and delivery uh, in the case room. You know, if someone comes in, they've got a particularly challenging angle to their pregnancy, then um, our, our colleagues are always there. We're, we're really pretty tight, good team. 
That's awesome. That sounds like a really nice collegial environment. And it must feel nice to have access to those specialists in the case that there are more complicated or difficult uh, deliveries. You yourself, um, are you delivering more of the low risk pregnancies? Do you ever take on any more complicated stuff? I think, you know, the, the goal is to do the low risk stuff and and to have that really be be covered by, you know, family docs and, and midwives and have the OBs sort of, uh, you know, doing the doing the higher risk, more challenging, complicated cases. Um, in a lot of cases, we'll sort of will remain MRP, even if the patient does have some some complexity to to their uh, prenatal care. Um it's 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 quite rare actually that we will consult OB and they'll say, oh, let me take this. Unless there's two babies, um, you know, twins is something that we would just like never handle as a family doctor uh, in an urban setting anyway. Um, and so um, that's always handled by OB. So we always you know transfer care if, if they do find two you know fetal heart rates. Um, but but otherwise we're we're pretty much left to take to take care of people, even if they are fairly complex. We just do it in close relationship with our obstetrical colleagues or our OB internal medicine colleagues as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if maybe you can think of some or particular challenging or difficult cases that come to mind that you've had to deal with in your practice. Um, I mean, there's always challenging cases. I think the most challenging cases are where you're, uh, I don't have a specific example, to be perfectly honest, but um, I, I think the, the challenging cases are where you're really advocating for, you know, the same thing that the, the family's goal is, is to have a healthy baby, healthy mom, right? Um, and, and you, you know, come in with your level of expertise and evidence-based knowledge, and um, and you can see that people are making decisions that sort of, you know, deviate from that. And so I think some of the most challenging cases are where you're really trying to communicate, um but, you know, hitting, you know, prior biases or hitting, um, you know, um, hesitancy that's there for whatever reason, for whatever this person has gone through. And, and you're trying to help them navigate, um, you know, in the safest possible way, but aware that informed consent and that shared decision making, it really is, you know, it is really their body and their baby. And they really do get to get to choose. You just try and help them do that in a safe way. And I, and I think in, you know, in the vast majority of cases with the right kind of counseling, um, I think you really can help mitigate those safety issues and really help people come to sort of, you know, what I would view as like the, the right, the right conclusion or the safest conclusion. Um, but certainly you feel um, you, you've got a stake in it. You, you really want, uh, want things to turn out well and, and you have the experience to sort of know how quickly things can go south, for example. Um, but I'd say that's, I'd say that's rare. Most people are, are fairly reasonable when it comes to, to making safe decisions. Yeah, that's good to hear because yeah, you know, these are really difficult situations sometimes, especially when you as a physician might feel that there's a particular route that's more safe or makes more sense, but then the patient is maybe pushing back on it a little bit. Um, do you have any thoughts on how to approach these types of situations in terms of the shared decision-making are there any strategies that you tend to use? Um, do you find this to be a challenge? I, I mean, it, it can be challenging, um, especially if, if people feel like they're having to push back and advocate for themselves and they feel like you're coming from another angle. And there's that, you know, there's that, you know, that digging in sort of paradigm that we've seen with a lot of difficult conversations, especially over the past few years, for example, about vaccines. Um, but I think if you really just keep coming back to, you know, the things that are keeping you on the same page, you really keep coming back to find that common ground and you, and you angle everything from that standpoint. I think that you can have 
much more productive conversations. And so a lot of echoing, a lot of active listening, a lot of rephrasing or um, paraphrasing. Um, and um, and then just coming back to that, you know, we're on the same team here. We're really going for the same thing um, and, and, and helping sort of guide from there. I, f- I find that's really helpful. Um, I find a lot of open-ended questions at the beginning of the conversation. Um, I was going to touch on, you know, p- people will come in with, with birth plans, for example. And, you know, I, th- I think there's a certain level of, you know, skepticism maybe from other providers where, oh, no, birth plan, what's this going to be about? And I'm always, I'm always encouraging patients to, to do that if, if that, if they feel that's going to be helpful, um, knowing in the back of my mind that if they come in with a birth plan, chances are very, very good that everything that they want is what I want as well. You know, patients will come in and they'll say, well, I want, you know, delayed cord clamping. Enjoying Metamorphosis? Check out some of our other podcasts like Women's Health Interrupted, exploring women's health issues through scientific inquiry and storytelling. Rate, review, and subscribe to UBC Medicine Learning Network podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and your favorite podcast platform. Join our community on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at UBC MedVid. Um, and I want, you know, baby to be placed skin to skin immediately. And we don't want any unnecessary episiotomy or vacuum or forceps. I'm like, me too. Like, that's exactly <laughs> where I come from. And so it's actually a really nice place to build that, that common ground. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to sort of, you know, come from that position and then say, I know that you want X, Y, and Z. I want them too. And here's, I think, our best route to actually get there. Yeah, and I think patients are a lot more informed as well in a lot of ways these days. Uh, just with so much uh, information available, people are really conscious about this stuff and they get involved in their own care, which is, I think is awesome as well. It's really great when a physician is kind of on that same uh, wavelength in terms of meeting them where they're at and trying to find a shared decision that everyone can be comfortable with. Yeah, exactly. I think that's awesome. I wanted to ask as well in terms of urban versus rural care. So how did you make your decision? Uh, I assume you practice mostly in urban settings. Do you do any rural maternity care as well? I did a little uh, early on in my career. I think in my first year of practice, I did a couple weeks up in Yellowknife, which was um, really exciting, a really like a wonderful city to to visit and practice in. Um, a really amazing group of of very collegial docs running things up there. Um, very connected to other health authorities and other you know specialists, sort of remotely as well. Um, I, I knew I wanted to remain urban just because I, I wanted to live in Vancouver. I wanted to live in the lower mainland. Um, I wanted to have a fairly high volume obstetrical practice as well. And so I've been able to do that because of, you know, burgeoning populations here in the lower mainland, which I, I think I would have had a hard time to find necessarily rurally. So I wanted, you know, to be, I wanted to be on call sort of about once a week and, and be busy on those calls. And I think um, it's a little bit more stretched out maybe in a, in a rural setting. I, I will say a, a piece of advice that I give to every learner that I, that I come across is if they are, if they are thinking about family medicine, you know, if they want to be done in two years, um, that, that as much of that training that can happen rurally the better it the 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 growth that you see in residents when they come back from their rural rotations uh and and i'm i'm talking about myself here as well um is exceptional and so i think you know going going far and going remote for training um is 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 crucial and and really really helpful i had to balance a little bit of that i, I did my rural rotation late sort of in my um i think it was my second year because we were studying for our exams um so i wasn't you know 
really exposed to it too, too much um, other than, you know, our med school rotations uh, until fairly late. But looking back, you know, I think I did two months and I did something like something absurd, like 400, 400 hours, you know, even in the first month. Um, so it was, you know, you, you worked really, really hard, but the, the transformation was incredible. And I think if I could have done double that, if I could have done four months, I, I would have, if I found it a little bit sooner. Um, that being said, I was, uh, you know, really driven and passionate about uh, obstetrical care already. So I did definitely try and structure all my electives to uh, towards, you know, delivering as many babies as possible and getting as much experience under my belt as possible. So um, that that sort of precluded going rural for the entire thing, but um, but it did allow me to sort of hit the ground running in July, you know, right after graduation from residency. Yeah, that's a great insight um, because I've actually been doing a bit of research on my literature review on this topic, and it seems like a large percentage of graduates of core family medicine residency don't actually feel comfortable practicing maternity care independently after residency. And um, so I guess getting some of that rural practice is really key to maybe bringing yourself up to speed. And because I guess two years in family medicine residency seems like not a long time Mm -hmm. to really master a lot of these skills. Yeah, it's, it's short. It's short. Um, it, which is one of the pulls, right? That's one of the reasons, you know, I was, I, I remember being my last a little bit of med school and thinking I'm already <laughs> tired. What, what, how could I do, you know, how could I do five years? I think I can manage two <laughs> barely. So, um, but you're right. It is, it is short to sort of, to, to build up that entire skill set. And I think there is, you know, probably a degree of, of necessity in, in, in specializing somewhat throughout your residency. You know, it, it, you know, it's, it's, I think it'd be very challenging to, to go into sort of every little, you know, angle from family medicine, um, just within those two years, I was able to sort of angle myself fairly heavily towards providing maternity care in such a way that, you know, I wouldn't say comfortable, I, I comfortable is a tricky word. Um, I wasn't comfortable in July of, you know, right after graduation delivering babies, but I was, you know, I felt competent. I had done it enough that I knew that, you know, with a good team around me, um, uh, you know, working closely with my obstetrical colleagues, I would able to, you know, deliver good care. Um, and then the other piece is that, you know, we, we don't function in a, in a vacuum. Um, we, we function as part of a community. It really does take a village and, um, one of the things that I tell, uh, you know, people who are wanting to do maternity care is you will have, you know, a WhatsApp group or some kind of some sort of hive mind that you can tap into when it's three in the morning and your your brain is a little bit broken and you're able and you're sort of, you know, wanting just a, a sounding board to bounce some ideas back off of because there will generally be a, a community of colleagues across the province or country even who are also passionate about doing what you're doing and are also, you know, brave enough to sort of or, or stupid enough to start in july right after graduation and so that that was something that uh we continued on with that that sort of community aspect and uh and it was definitely helpful for people who didn't want to add on like another three months for example or another year that's awesome i know that a lot of residents use whatsapp groups and things like that amongst themselves and residency for the same reason but it's really nice to know that those things kind of carry on into practice as well so you have that extra support from your peers when you need it in practice that's really nice to hear absolutely yeah you're never alone and i mean that's one of the beautiful things about both both of the the angles that i have in my in my practice that they're they're both like very team-based 
Um, and I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. So in, in addictions, I work with, you know, a nurse, sometimes a pharmacist um, um, in the downtown east side. So I'm never really alone there. It's always, it, we're always working in a team. And then, uh, you know, it, at, at Chiwe, uh, you know, it's like I talk at length, I think about, about how, how collegial and how interdisciplinary that team environment is to take care of, of, of women with, with substance use um, disorders in pregnancy. Um, and then on, uh, you know, on any obstetrical floor, it, it's always a team. You're always in team with the nursing. You're always with the nursing staff. You're always in team with your obstetrical colleagues. And so um, it really does, uh, it, it, it's, it's warm and fuzzy. It's a family. It's, um, it's, it's something that I, that I would never be able to, to give up for, for all those reasons. That's wonderful to hear. Um, yeah. And I also just wanted to ask, just finishing off with the maternity care piece, um, I just want to know maybe on a systemic level, if you think that there's anything we could change or the government could change about family medicine residency to incorporate more maternity care to get residents more up to speed with their skills and just feeling a bit better about entering independent practice. Do you think that that's necessary or do you think that um, like for yourself, for example, you were already interested in maternity care. So maybe you had maybe some more electives or something that helped you improve your skills but for somebody who's not uh, super focused mm -hmm. on maternity care is there anything you think that should be done to bring them up to speed as well i think i think as part of any residency program there's going to be an obstetrical rotation i think you know for for those who aren't already passionate about it i think it's unlikely that those like six weeks or eight weeks i guess um that they will sort of you know turn on a dime and decide that they actually want to, you know, deliver babies as, as part of their professional practice. Um, but I do think, you know, providing that is important. I think provision of maternity care is important sort of no matter what you end up doing, even if it is just for early pregnancy. Um, and, and there are, there are incentives to, to delivering babies there, you know, al although you pay more for your CMPA dues, that's almost all covered by um, stipends that you get throughout the year. They just recently went up on our on our fee rates for visits for um, for prenatal visits as well as postpartum care, um, and then there are uh, continuing incentives just for just for being a doctor who delivers babies. Your first twenty five babies, you get uh, you get bonuses basically for every one of them as as ways of sort of enticing people to continue continue this as part of their practice. So I think for those who do want to do it, there's definitely I mean, there's. There's all the reasons sort of I've gone into before. And also it, it, to be perfectly honest, you're rewarded for doing 24 hours covered in amniotic fluid. <laughs> um, so, you know, ideally, ideally the things that, you know, you love and you want to keep as part of your practice, they're also, you know, you're not hemorrhaging money to do so. And I think obstetrics is one of those examples where they've actually done a good job of, of, of making it, uh, you know, a rewarding specialty for every reason, but also, also, you know, well compensated and, uh, and, um, I, I know that like every health authority is currently on, on the war path to make sure that family docs, you know, continue to, to be able to provide really good holistic maternity care. I know that, uh, there are, um, big initiatives for sort of, you know, um, building communities, building, you know, listservs and, and having people be, uh, you know, be able to be connected to all, all the other, you know, maternity providers in their area and, um, and I think, you know, with that increasing strength of those networks, I think you're just going to see it, see it reinforced. Um, and if, if new grads are at all passionate about maternity care, I think they'll be well rewarded for, for continuing that as part of their practice. 
Well, it's good to know that being covered in amniotic fluid isn't the only reward for doing maternity care. So that's nice. It, it's <laughs> not. Yeah, no, it's just a little little side bonus. Awesome. Um, if we could get into a little bit into addictions medicine as well, um, maybe you could tell us how that worked out for you. Did you do any additional training in addiction medicine or did you just jump right into it after residency? So this is another one of these these like so community, you know, like the village really took care of me. Um I had done, I think, two weeks of addictions as part of our, our you know, family medicine residency. And then immediately after, uh, after those two weeks, I was passionate enough to sort of book an elective where um, I ended up working immediately in July of, of right after graduation. And, you know, I'd had four weeks of four weeks of training in this area and, um, had a big soft spot in my heart for, you know, folks who have experienced trauma and are marginalized and, and, you know, uh, dealing with substance use disorders and uh, um, was able to sort of hit the ground running in July, backed up by this incredible community of support of, of people who had one day, you know, at, at some point been just like me and who were willing to kind of treat me as a glorified resident as a staff family doc providing addictions in the downtown east side so you know I, I found incredible camaraderie there again working with just remarkably skilled nursing colleagues um and in a team environment that was that was uh really able to sort of facilitate this uh incredible knowledge curve or learning curve um so that's sort of how i found my way in and then you know providing care to people in their homes or in their building, um, I, I found I, I that was something I experienced briefly as a resident, and I knew I had it in my in the back of my mind. You know, eventually I want to be the, the family doctor for a building and, and just take care of folks where they live. Um, and I was just um, I was really lucky to have found my way into into one of those housing developments. Um, I think by my second or maybe third year of uh, of a full full serve um, a full staff sort of family practice. So I was. So that that's how I sort of found my way in there, and then I think I talked a little bit about how I found my way into perinatal addictions, and then and then, you know, it's there's there's nothing else um, that that I've seen that I, there's nothing else through which I ha I've seen these kind of transformations, right? So I was doing a a locum for um, someone who was taking care of, you know, she way patients years and years and years after. And, you know, as I'm filling their Suboxone or their methadone and, and checking in with them, you know, when was the last time they used opioids? You know, I can't count the amount of times they would say, you know, it was my last, you know, few weeks of pregnancy or just before my son was born or just before my daughter was born. And, and here they are years later, having had that you know, that experience of being taken care of by she Wei or by, you know, the fur ward or, you know, Ron Abrahams or, or any of the, the wonderful uh, physicians that they have working there. Um, and that was the turning point for the rest of their life. And, um, and here I was sort of bearing witness to that years down the road. Um, and so, yeah, it's a really powerful area uh, to work in, uh, whether or not someone is dealing with perinatal addictions, you know, I, I talked about sort of that transformation that happens within that family, within that person. Um, but especially, uh, you know, folks, um, folks who really just completely change their lives um, through through becoming a parent. It's um, it's really, really beautiful to see. That does sound really powerful and super impactful, too. I mean, I know that's such a necessary service. And so it's amazing to hear that you're providing that kind of care for these patients. 
Um, I was curious just about the details of how that works. Um, so you go to Shiway and then are you seeing your own kind of roster of patients or do you just see anybody who's there at the time or how does that work when you're actually there? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty it's a pretty um, sort of open schedule. It's a lot of like walk in based opportunistic care. Um, there's a drop in area down below where people can come and, uh, you know, be warm and, and get a, a home cooked meal and, um, you know, clothing connect with people help, to help them, um, you know, keep their families together. Um, um, I know that there's, um, there's a, there's a, a really good support for, um, for indigenous folks, um, you know, maintaining community and, and connection and, uh, and, and then, the you know the prenatal side of things it it is it is you know sometimes outreach based with uh, really skilled outreach nurses um, and a lot of it is sort of more opportunistic and and less scheduled than I think you'll see in in sort of regular maternity care um, and then and then it is really working with a team so um, rather than having your own panel of patients you really sort of all come together to to wrap these these folks in care and uh, and and help them along their journey basically. But but not as not as structured as uh, as other other maternity care. Mm-hmm. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I feel like we don't really learn a lot about, or we don't hear about a lot of these different paths that can be taken in family medicine. So it's just awesome to hear about that uh, about something that like this that sounds really unique and important that people can get into. Um, it also sounds like having a team and having people there who are really supportive is kind of the key aspect of it where you're able to get in and develop those skills and feel more confident uh, in the end with the care that you're providing. Um, if you hadn't had that team or those connections, would you have considered doing the extra training program in addiction medicine? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I, I mean, you know, I, I developed my skills sort of on the fly and on the job as opposed to sort of, you know, coming at it from you know, a, a more academic kind of focus. It, it meant that, you know, community addictions is one thing, um, but, uh, you know, inpatient addictions is something that I wouldn't have the skill set to do. And certainly by doing your extra year, you can you can definitely, you know, do the sort of in-hospital-based, um, you know, higher tier of, of, of more acute care for folks with addictions, uh, as opposed to sort of the, the more longitudinal. Not, not that things aren't very intense, sometimes in the community but uh but yeah i think that would be that would be one area where i wouldn't be confident to to provide in in-house you know inpatient care um whereas doing the plus one you certainly would a lot of your training would take take place there Mm -hmm. and so for students who are considering family medicine residency do you think that there are still a few opportunities for them in terms of growth and career development in terms of choosing their own pathway and their own niche they can be happy with in the future. It's just that we seem to hear a lot about, um, even on the news and things, just about how difficult some of these pathways in medicine can be, especially primary care. Mm -hmm. What would you say to a student who's maybe considering going into family medicine in general to kind of give some of your thoughts on that path too? I mean, it, it has been my experience that that I have I have found the flexibility that I was looking for and that was promised to me. It wasn't an empty promise. It was, you know, I, I have been able to like tailor make my my entire week and and career exactly how I want it to be. And and done it with you know I have a two and a three year old it's been it's been a busy few years <laughs> and there was a pandemic um, and somehow um, I I have I have somehow avoided burning out um, through that flexibility 
I think largely mitigated by working uh, in a team. And I think you basically just, you find the things that you start broad, you find the things that you love, and then you, you build your career around those things that you love. And that keeps you coming back for more. Um, it keeps you sort of eager to show up for work. Um, you know, the, the pandemic has been hard and, and challenging for everyone. And I've certainly had different, you know, I've had different degrees of balance throughout the different locums that I've taken and the different commitments that I've had. But uh, I've, I've, I've found myself in a place where, from a career perspective, I have um, a great a high degree of balance, um, a very rewarding, you know, specialty that I found myself up in or a couple specialties. And, um, and, and yeah, kind of living, you know, the dream that I had as a resident was that I would be able to do, you know, maternity care as part of my practice. And, you know, I found addictions throughout residency and, and sure enough, here I am. Um, and, and in terms of other incentives, you know, and other, we, we can't really get too much into, um, you know, the new funding models that are coming out and everything, but, uh, you know, now, you know, five years into my career, uh, having having spent most of it supporting other physicians uh, with locums for their practices, you know, now I find myself really excited for within the next the next couple of years, probably having my own panel at long last and really living the dream, you know, really, really getting to take care of people from from cradle to tomb. That's really inspiring and encouraging as well to hear. So thank you so much for sharing that as well. It's really great to hear from a physician who's just really happy with what they do and the amount of flexibility that you have. I think that's a really sustainable way of moving family medicine forward uh, into the future. Just having that variability and flexibility to choose what you want to do, how you want to practice. I think that's a great way to keep people engaged in family medicine and get new students and residents involved as well. I think that's very important. And I was just going to say, just the fact that you can do that in two years plus practice, you know, the, it, your training does not stop when you graduate from your residency. In, in many ways, that's sort of where training began. But you you, uh, you, you pick up so much from doing. Um, and if you do a lot, then you learn a lot. Um, so if you learn, if you do, you know, if you practice broadly, you, you learn about all of those different aspects that are sort of within your care. Um yeah, so it, it you can you, you don't necessarily, you know, have to choose. It's it's nice from that perspective. And in the future as well, I'm sure that you can also pivot and change the way you do things. You know, if you do get maybe burnt out or you choose to pursue something else, it seems like there's a lot of future flexibility as well to change what you're doing and make it fresh. I think there is a lot of reinvention that that uh that is always available to you. Yeah, for sure. Um maybe you can tell us one thing um or something if there's something that you would have changed or done differently in your pathway? Anything that maybe you even regret or something like that, that you could have done differently? I think, uh, I think I've already touched on residency. I wish I'd done more rural. Uh, maybe even in med school, I wish I'd gone a little bit more rural. I think that the learning there and the independence that you get coming out of that is invaluable and is just, it's irreplaceable. You just don't, don't find it anywhere else. Um, so I, I, I think I would feel I was a little bit more well-rounded, a little bit more confident to practice, you know, independently if I had, um, maybe done the four months instead of the two months. So that was, uh, not a regret, but, but certainly advice that I give to learners. Um, and otherwise, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I see, I see consults from hospitalists, uh, or, you know, I, I talk to friends who do eMERGE care and, uh, and, and while those, and, or even palliative care and, while there was a time in my journey where I would have felt that I could could 
do that in a passing way and and pick up skills, uh, you know, to keep myself sort of safe in practice, you know, along the way. Um, the, the, the longer you go without doing things now that I'm sort of reaching my fifth year of not having done any of that stuff, uh, the, the less, you know, the more training you need to get back, back up to speed. Um, I don't regret it because it was never really, you know, those weren't passions of mine necessarily, but, uh, but certainly if I, um, if I had wanted to stay more broad, I would have had to, you know, continue to, to, to exercise those skills in the long term. Um, I just happened to find myself into a couple areas I was really passionate about, um, you know, while, while maintaining your, your full skill set of, you know, full service family practice along the way. That's really helpful. Right now, I'm sure that uh, us medical students, fourth years, we're in comms right now. Um, so I'm just wondering if you have any advice or words you want to give to those of us who are in our CARMS journey. Um, by the way, CARMS stands for, this is for our international listeners, uh, CARMS stands for the Canadian Resident Matching Service. It's the process through which all Canadian uh, medical school graduates enter residency. Yeah, I mean, don't don't feel um, I, I think I think you're still part of the journey, right? It's it's it, nothing is final. Um, and even once you graduate, there is still so much flexibility that we have that we are so, so, so lucky to have within medicine. Um, I think there's there's very few physicians who've had a straightforward straight shot route and never, you know, never changed, never turned the steering wheel. Um, and so there is a lot of opportunity for for continuing to evolve and continuing to change. I think you just have to have that, have that flexibility to, to be willing to, to take those different directions as you come across them. And so I think if you, if you do find something that you're passionate about, you know, follow that butterfly and, uh, and, and see where it takes you. Um, and, uh, and I think, I think you'll be well served to sort of build a, a richness and a variety into your career from doing so. Um, I'm certainly glad that, you know, although I had done kind of the CARMS tour for both, if I hadn't had that flexibility to change, you know, to change my mind and, and, you know, and really um, dive into family medicine, I, I would have regretted it. <laughs> so, so yeah, feel free to change your mind and feel free to, to grow and change and, uh, and nothing is permanent. Amazing. Thank you so much for your inspiring words and for all your insight today. I really appreciate you sitting down with me and talking with me today. So yeah, thank you so much for being here, David. This has been great. Thanks so much, Igor. And thank you all for listening. If you'd like to hear more from the Metamorphosis Podcast, please be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Stay healthy and safe, and we hope to see you next time. been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 